Uh, my name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors on staff. It's so good to have you here. Hey, do me a favor uh, in Lithopolis. Can you do me a favor? Can we welcome our Lancaster family watching? Everyone watching online right now. Hey, real quick, I want to look in the cameras and I want to talk to Lancaster. Hey, can you do me a favor? Take care of Pastor Russ for me, okay? He, he comes to me all the time and he says, no, I'm just kidding. I love Pastor Russ. He's awesome. Uh, it's awesome what he's doing there. But hey, listen, if you're new with us, uh, we're in the middle of a series and we're actually closing it today where we've uh, been having a conversation about uh, what love is. And as we've been looking at it and really defining uh, what love is, what we've been realizing is is that uh, what our culture says love is and what love looks like is radically different uh, than what God says love is and what God says uh, love looks like. And so if you're like me, uh, man, this series, it's been so challenging. It's been challenging me to kind of look at my relationships uh, and how I interact with people and how I interact with my spouse even. And, and so I hope that you've been uh, uh, been challenged to go home and have conversations, conversations with your spouse, conversations with others around you. And so, you know, for this whole series, we've been kind of living in this passage of Scripture, uh, th this uh, passage of Scripture that is very familiar. If you grew up in church, honestly, maybe uh, you heard it read at, at your wedding. Uh, but, you know, if you're not familiar with it, if you haven't heard it before, I just wanted to take some time and I wanted to read it to you all this morning as we kind of orient ourselves today as we get going. So uh, the scripture that we've been living in for this series uh, comes from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Let's read it together. It says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. If you were with us week one, we, we learned that, that love is death. It means dying to yourself and your own self-interest. And then week two, we, we talked about how love is honoring and how respect is earned, but honor is given to those around you just because of who they are and the fact that God made them. And then if you were here last week, we learned that uh, love keeps no record of wrongs. And then what instead what it does is it builds a fence around us in our relationships and protects us against the offenses that we would seek to bring uh, against each other. And so today, as we kind of close and wrap up this conversation, I kind of want to hone in uh, on one verse from that passage in 1 Corinthians, uh, and it's this, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6. Uh, it says this, that love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Honestly, I can tell you that I feel like honesty is one of the most important things uh, that we develop in our relationships. Honesty is one of the most important things that we develop in our relationships. And so today, we're going to be talking about how love is truthful. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so thankful for who you are. Lord, I pray that today, uh, as we hear from you, we hear from your word, uh, that, Lord, it would uh, penetrate our hearts and minds, Lord Jesus. And, Lord, I pray that it would it would touch us in a special way. And, Lord, I pray that the things that we learned today uh, that would, would just take root in our spirit and take root in our heart, Lord. And, Lord, I pray uh, that we would go from this place uh, a changed people uh, and a changed group of people by your love and by your spirit. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said... 
Amen, amen. Hey, do me a favor, go ahead and grab a quick seat for me this morning. And as you grab your seat and find your way to your seat, I want to go on a little bit of a journey with you, okay? Does that sound good? Can we go on a journey this morning? Uh, so what I want to do is I want to hop in our DeLorean, our, our, our time machine, okay? Uh, for those of you who get the reference, and we're going to head back, all right, all the way yonder to the year 1998. 1998. Uh, it was a good year. It was a great year. Buckeyes just won the Rose Bowl against Arizona State, if you remember uh, that. Yeah, a couple of people remember that. That was a good time. Uh, and so as we jump in our DeLorean, our time machine, uh, we zoom in. We're going to zoom in on eight-year-old Zach, okay? Eight-year-old Zach, and it's the year 1998. Uh, we're going to zoom into St. Petersburg, Florida. St. Petersburg, Florida. So my father was a pastor, and he had left Ohio, which is where I was born, uh, and we were living in St. Petersburg, Florida, and he was pastoring at this uh, big old Baptist church down there. Uh, it was pink because all the buildings in Florida are pink, and so I just have it seared in my memory as like, uh, this is the big pink church. And so uh, that's where we were living, uh, and I was in second grade. Uh, at that time in my life, and uh, uh, we lived in, on this cul-de-sac in Florida. We had a pool in our backyard, and, and I would spend almost uh, all of my days outside enjoying the beautiful Florida weather because it's not like Ohio. You can go outside 24-7 uh, in Florida, uh, and uh, we would have just the, the most incredible time in the neighborhood. We lived uh, on this cul-de-sac, and, and my friends and I, we would play all these games. We would uh, do all sorts of things uh, there in the cul-de-sac, so we'd play like dodgeball and kickball and uh, kick the can and, and like all these sorts of fun games is, is what we do. And so uh, this one particular day, uh, we were playing uh, not any of those games. Uh, we were actually playing hide and go seek. We're playing hide and go seek. And yes, let me tell you uh, that it was just as difficult for second grade Zach to hide as it is uh, for current Zach to hide. I, I was not a small kid. And so, uh, listen, I, I had found like the most perfect hiding spot. So it was like uh, this shed uh, that was right next to the house, like one of our neighbor's homes. Uh, and I had actually, the shed was unlocked. And so I, I went in the shed and I was like hiding behind the tools. And I was like, yes, I'm going to win. I'm really competitive. I was like, I'm going to win. Uh, I, no one's ever going to find me here, okay? And so I, I'm there hiding, uh, and over the course of a few minutes while we're there hiding, uh, I, I hear something. Uh, you see, what I didn't realize is that uh, the day was quickly turning into nighttime, all right? It was like 5, 5.30, uh, so it was getting close to dinner time. And so uh, I heard something, and it was my mom. She had come out of the house, all right, and she was standing kind of in the middle of the cul-de-sac, and she got that, that mom voice. Moms, you know what I'm talking about? Like that mom voice, it, it, it's like that shrill, like, uh, and it penetrates everything. It's like you can hear it if you're in the furthest part of the house and she's in the basement, uh, all right? And, and so she yells, she goes like, Zach, like, where are you? It's dinner time. And, you know, I'm like, Mom, don't you understand how this game works? Like, I can't leave my hiding spot to go in uh, to dinner. And she's hollering for me, and she's yelling and all this stuff. And I'm like, uh, you know, uh, I'm not leaving. And so uh, different time, different era. I guess she didn't care. She just went back inside the house. Uh, she didn't come looking for me, so it must not have been that important. Uh, and so the game ends. Uh, 20, 25 minutes later, I head inside, you know, and, and, and she's kind of putting uh, dinner away. And so I, I kind of come in, and I'm like, I'm looking. I'm like, oh, what you got for dinner? And I'm like, hey, Mom, like, oh, what's for dinner? I'm hungry. What you got? Uh, and she just kind of looks at me, and she kind of gives me the look. You know what I'm talking about? And she's like, she's like, well, 
hey, Zach, um, did, did you hear me call you for dinner? And it's like right there in that moment, it's like, uh, like I'm Ralphie from Christmas Vacation, like all the internal monologue just starts going in my head and, and I'm like thinking, okay, just stay cool, you got this, she doesn't have to know, you can do this, and, and so immediately uh, I'm like, dinner? Well, I didn't hear you call for dinner, like, you, you call me? Like, you, you call me, like, you, uh, I'm supposed to come in for dinner? Like, is that what I was supposed to do? I, I don't know, and I was like, yes, I got her, she's not gonna know, all these things, and then I, I swear, it's like, moms, you just know, like, you just, mm, like, you just have it, you know, and she just kind of, like, looked at me, she got a little taller, and I felt a little smaller, and she, she kind of looked at me, and she just said, she's like, Zach, did you hear me call you for dinner. It was like deadly serious. And I'm just like, yes, I heard you call me for dinner. And then she said those words that like, like and I get it now because I'm a parent, but when you're a kid, you hate to hear these words. She said, son, I'm so disappointed in you. Go to your room. And so uh, I, I go to my room and, and I swear, like, that's the worst part. Like when you go to your room and it's like, you know, the punishment's coming, right? Like, you know, uh, what's coming around the corner. And so she's like, I'm gonna wait for your father to come home. And so they come home uh, and they talk and they do all this stuff uh, and they come in and I'm like, okay, it's coming. I know it's coming. Just uh, be prepared. And so I'm sitting there and, and then finally they come in the room and they're like, do you know what you did wrong? And I'm like, Yes, I know what I did wrong. I disobeyed you. And they're like, and you lied to us about it. I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that, all that stuff, whatever. Uh, and so they're like, okay, so you're going to have a consequence. And I'm like, I, I knew that. Like, here it comes. And they're like, okay, so your consequence for lying to us and disobeying for us is that you have to go to bed every single night this week at 730. And I was like, Okay, like, there's worse things, right? Like, it could be worse. Like, I, I can do that. I can go to bed at 7.30 every single night. And then they're like, uh, and, and you have to write a 250-word essay every single night on a chapter from the book of James, which talks about the power of the tongue and lying and all this stuff. I'm in second grade, and I'm like, you want me to write a 250-word essay every single night? Like, uh, I, that's tough, but, uh, but okay, I can do it. Like, uh, like, it's fine. Like, there's definitely worse things. Uh, and then they got, like, even quieter, and they were like, and, and I'm like, Oh boy, like it's already bad enough now. Like, well, what can be worse? You see, what I didn't know is that my cousins were, were getting ready to fly in from Ohio on a special trip, and they were going to be staying at this five star resort hotel in St. Petersburg, and they were going to Disney World uh, and doing all this stuff. And we were supposed to be hanging out with them all this week. They were like, hey, uh, you're not allowed to go on any of those fun things with your cousins at all. And they stuck to their word. I'm telling you, it was the worst week of my life. When you're in second grade, it's the worst. But I'll tell you uh, what that story illustrates, and it's been seared in my brain ever since then, is that when we lie, there's often consequences to our actions. When we lie, there's consequences to our actions. And I think when we talk about love is truthful, Love being truthful, I think what's difficult is that for many of us, uh, we don't often think like, oh, well, I 
tell lies. Like, uh, I don't tell lies. But I think there's, when it comes to the truth, I think there's some things that you might be doing that maybe you don't realize are uh, maybe kind of shading the truth. I'm talking about these little half-truths or, or these kind of little white lies. And so here's what I know, that when we're dishonest in our relationships, uh, there is pain that comes from that. In fact, let me say it this way. Dishonesty often leads to pain in our relationships. And I think that when we think about uh, lying or, or, or being dishonest in our relationships, I think sometimes we kind of automatically jump to the worst case scenario, uh, like adultery or, or divorce or, or some of those things. And, and yes, that can be a consequence of dishonesty in our relationships. Uh, but, but today I want to talk about something a little bit different. Uh, I want to talk about like things like marital strife. Like when we're dishonest with each other, it can lead to strife. You know what I'm talking about? It's the kind of strife uh, where uh, she's slamming the doors uh, and he's huffing and puffing and someone's stomping up the stairs, right? Like, no, no one likes that. No one wants to be a part of that. It leads to uh, separation. Uh, like, someone goes to bed early. Uh, physical intimacy begins. It's not like nobody wants to feel that way. Like, that's what I know. No one wants to feel that way in their relationship. And so uh, today, I just want to get practical, and I want to talk about uh, kind of two different ways, uh, two different ways that I feel like uh, maybe we deceive each other in our relationships. And so the first way that I want to uh, talk about, the first deception I want to talk about uh, is the half-truths that we tell each other. It's the half-truths that we tell each other. You know what I'm talking about when I say half-truths? Uh, I'm talking about uh, some of those little things like, uh, I'm going to be home in five minutes. It's like, no, you're not going to be home in five minutes. Or, or how about this one? Uh, it was only uh, $39.99. It wasn't $39.99, let me tell you this. Or, or how about this? Hey, honey, 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 I promise that I will do the laundry and the dishes by the time we go to bed tonight. I, I mean, that's what I'm talking about, these little half-truths uh, that we kind of tell each other, these shades of gray that we kind of operate in sometimes. I think Paul understood this. Uh, he was writing a letter to the church uh, in, in Colossae, and he kind of, in this letter, he kind of detailed a list that Christ followers are supposed to do. It's the people who follow Jesus. And in that list, he said this in Colossians 3, 9, he said, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. And here's what I know about these half truths. Eventually you get caught, right? Eventually you get found out. Like somebody checks the bank account, right? And it's like, oh, it wasn't $39.99. It was actually $79.99. But it was a great sale. That's what they always say. It was, it was on sale. It was so good. Or, or they realize that, yeah, you could be home in five minutes, but that's if you drove 98 miles an hour and you hit every single green light uh, between your home and whatever. And then when you eventually get home 20 minutes later, uh, it, it, it's, it's just a mess. And so here's what I realized about these kind of little half-truths, these little, these, these shades of gray that we operate uh, in with one another, like in our relationships. Uh, you know what's true uh, for the, the, the spouse, your spouse that you've kind of left hanging out to dry, you've kind of mismanaged their expectations. You know what's true for them? Uh, whenever you walk in the house, uh, tell me, it's like 
all hell is breaking loose when you walk in the house. Like, when it's, like inevitably, oh honey, I'm gonna be home in five minutes, but really you're home in 20 minutes. And then when you walk in, it just so happens that in that very moment, the kids are coloring on the walls with the crayons, dinner's boiling over, your spouse is on their phone with the in-laws and they're driving you crazy. Oh, just at that time, Boy Scout Billy decides to show up and sell popcorn at the front door. I mean, come on, we've all been here in this moment, okay? And then you walk in and you're like, you feel guilty, right? You feel guilty. And, and so this is what happens to me. I walk in and I'm like, hey, honey, like, uh, is there anything I, I can do to help? Can I help you right now? Can I help you? You know what the response always is? Uh, she's like, nothing. Like, no, I, I got this. It's fine. And then I feel bad. All right. And, and then so I go and I try to like make it up to her throughout the night. And so how, how can I help you in this way? Uh, but the tension's already there because I've already kind of misled her or mismanaged her expectations. And, and so the tension just uh, builds and builds and builds. And, and then it explodes in a fight. You know, after the kids go to bed, it's like it just explodes in a fight. This is what I'm talking about when I say that dishonesty can lead to pain in our relationships. And so I was just thinking about this, and I was like, man, why do we do this? Like, this is common. Like, this is common to the human experience. Like, we've all kind of experienced this in these moments. So, like, why do we do this to one another? And, and I realized this is that uh, we are conditioned for deceit. Like, I don't know if you know that or not, but, but you're conditioned to be deceitful. And I know this because you can trace this all throughout Scripture. I mean, uh, the moment in the Garden of Eden where uh, the, the enemy Satan deceives Adam and Eve, the moment where Cain lies to God uh, about uh, killing his brother Abel, the moment that, that Abraham lies to the uh, Egyptian Pharaoh about his wife. So you can see this over and over and over again in Scripture. I think that's why the psalmist David wrote in Psalms 119.29, he said, Keep me for my deceitful ways. Be gracious to me and teach me your law. Keep me from my deceitful ways uh, and be gracious to me and teach me your law. I think there's a lot of reasons why that we're dishonest with one another. There's a reason why. I think uh, one of those biggest reasons is, is that we don't want to uh, disappoint our spouse. Like We don't want to uh, feel like we let them down. Or, or, or maybe like, like we have good intentions of doing the laundry in the dishes like we say, but then uh, inevitably we get a phone call uh, from a friend and then you have to run to the store and do an errand. And then when you go to the store and do an errand, you have to stop by the electronics aisle because you gotta check and see all the latest electronics that are come out. And then when you go home, uh, you, you have to drive by the new building because you have to make sure that you're keeping up with every single little piece of progress. You go out of your way to drive by the new building. This has never happened to me in my life is what I'm trying to say. And so, uh, but no, like uh, we have good intentions, but you know that old phrase like you've all heard it before it's the highway to hell is paved with what good intentions and so what I've realized is that uh, often uh, out of a fear of disappointing our spouse or or, or maybe good intentions we we sow these little half-truths uh, and these little uh, lies and so what happens is, is the tension builds it explodes in a fight and then inevitably that fight always ends with someone saying well if you would have just told me you were going to be home 20 minutes later than what you were like it would have been okay or if you would have just told me you were going to spend $70 instead of $40 I, I wouldn't be mad and, and so I just think that that we see this play out 
over and over and over again. And so if you feel like, man, this is connecting with me in any sort of way, or uh, I've experienced this in my marriage, I just, I want to give you one piece of practical advice uh, that, that I would love for you. If you take notes, just to write this down uh, as a way for you to begin to work on this in your relationship, and that's this. Uh, so if you're struggling with this, uh, you need to do this in your marriage. You need to do the hard work of communicating. You need to do the hard work of communicating. Notice I didn't say the easy work of communicating. If it was easy, uh, then we would all do it. But you need to do the hard work of communicating. So whatever that looks like for you and your spouse, you need to come up with a communication strategy. Uh, maybe it's the end of the day, right? And so you're going to take 10 minutes at the end of the day. You're going to put away your phones, right? And you're going to come and you're going to talk about what happened. You create a safe space uh, to talk about that. M maybe uh, you come up with a strategy that says, hey, I'm not going to overreact to anything that my spouse says in a text message because I understand that things can get confusing in a text message. Whatever it is, come up with the communication strategy. Let me tell you this. The goal of communication in your marriage is to create a safe space where you and your spouse can discuss things honestly with one another. That's the goal. And so I hope that you can take that and go from uh, this place and, and, and feel like you have some tools to work on that in your marriage. So if there's one lie that we tell, it, it's the half-truths uh, that we tell each other. The half-truths that we tell each other, I think there's another deception uh, that we tell. So the half-truths that we tell each other, and then there's the subtle lies that we tell ourselves. The subtle lies that we tell ourselves. And I feel like these lies or, or this deception can be even more deadly in our relationships. I feel like you might be confused when I say subtle lies that we tell ourselves. So let me give you an example. So the first uh, example is this. So here's a lie that we say. If we could just do fill in the blank, then our relationship would be amazing. If we could just do fill in the blank, our relationship would be amazing. If I could just make her more money, if I could just give him a kid, if we could just upgrade to that dream home or, or, or go on that dream vacation, then our relationship would be perfect. It, it, would, it would be amazing. And I just want to say that that's a dangerous lie. Because here's what I know. Uh, we get on social media, and oftentimes we look at other marriages, other relationships, uh, and we find ourselves comparing what we have uh, to what they have, all right? You know, we're comparing our Wednesday night where the kids are going crazy, all right, and, and you haven't showered in four days, uh, and things aren't looking good around the house, to uh, their Disney vacation, their home that they just bought. Do you realize that you're comparing your average to their highlights? Because we don't put our average on social media, and so you find yourself comparing what you have to theirs, and you feel like, man, we're just, uh, is our marriage not good? Is our relationship not good? Are we, like, like, and you find yourself becoming unhappier and unhappier with what you have. It's a dangerous game, and all of a sudden you begin to feel pain. So every time you look on social media and you see them get that new car, you see them get that new house, you see them pay off that debt, you see them take a step in their life, all of a sudden you begin to feel that pain because you're lying to yourself, man, if we just did this, then our relationship would be amazing. Listen, if you're looking for something to fill in the gap in your relationship, you're going to be looking for a very, very long time. And here's the danger of this deception that we tell ourselves. Here's the danger. If you're not careful, you can begin to resent your spouse. If you're not careful, you can begin to resent your spouse because all of a sudden you're looking on social media, right? And it's like, man, uh, 
he doesn't make enough money, like my husband doesn't make enough money uh, l- like he does, all right? And then all of a sudden, like, well, I can't have those things. Or, 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 you know, their house is always put together and always clean and always looks good, all right? And I come home and my house is a mess. If you're not careful, you can begin to resent your spouse and tell you what the enemy does in those moments. You know that those fence posts we talked about last week, how God, how the enemy wants to build a fence in between you and your relationship. So if he wants to build a fence, then these, these subtle lies, these things, things, they are the fence posts that the enemy is digging to put the fence in. And so every time you tell yourself one of these lies, you begin to resent your spouse, you're putting in a fence post. You're putting in a fence post in your relationship. Here's another example of what I'm talking about when I talk about these subtle lies. And if you're single, I want you to especially kind of pay attention to this one. If I just say or do fill in the blank, then that person will finally change. Listen, if you're dating someone, all right, to change them or or to hope that they could change, let me tell you, uh, you need to hear this. You can't change them. You can't change them. You you can lose the weight, all right? You can pretend like you're not into church, all right? You you, you can say, man, maybe I'm the crazy one, and so I'm going to back off a little bit, and I'm not going to to ask him about that or, or do all that. But listen, you can't change the person that you're dating. All you can do is help someone change themselves, but you can't actually do the changing themselves. Listen, ladies, if he's a jerk before you get married, then he's going to be a jerk after you get married. Listen, guys, I'm telling you, listen, if she's needy and she runs up the credit card now before you get married, she's going to do that after you get married. It's not going to happen. Listen, if you're dating someone and they don't love God now, you think after you tie the knot that all of a sudden they're going to be interested in coming to church? I'm telling you, it's not that way. It's just not that way. And so we need to realize that and not lie to ourselves about what we can do in that relationship. Now, listen, if if you're here today and you're like, man, uh, pastor, it would have been great if someone would have told me that like before I got married, uh, but I'm here now. Can I give you uh, one just piece of advice uh, that might begin to help you? Listen, instead of looking at who you're with and kind of hoping that they're going to change or hoping that they would look different, and maybe you attach, you start attaching your love uh, to these conditions and promises like, hey, I'm only going to love you if you do this, or I'm only going to love you if you do that. Maybe you just start seeing your spouse and loving them for who they are and for who God created them to be. What you might begin to realize is that something might shift faster in your relationship than what you ever thought possible. Now listen, I'm not saying if you're in an abusive relationship or uh, if you're in a relationship where maybe you feel unsafe, that that you just need to love your your partner through that. I'm not saying that, listen, if that's the the case and you don't feel safe, then you need to get help. You need to get help in the best way possible. But listen, I'm telling you that uh, what happens when you begin to love your spouse in the way that God has called you to love them, I'm telling you, something might shift even faster than what you thought possible in your relationship with that person. And so I've got time for kind of one more example about how uh, we tell kind of subtle lies to ourselves. And I think this one is perhaps one of the most deadly lies that we tell ourselves, and that's this, that there's something inherently wrong or different about me. That's a lie that we tell ourselves. Leads to a lot of pain. That there's something inherently wrong 
or different about me. You know, we've been talking about for the last four weeks about uh, what love is and what love looks like and uh, kind of what it looks like from God's perspective. And I hope that that throughout this series that this has been something that maybe has challenged you and, and forced you to kind of take a look at your own relationships and ask yourself, man, man, how do I love? Like, how do I love others? But the reality is, is that I feel like there's some of us today who might be carrying the weight or feeling the pain of maybe a, a, a past or failed relationship and you feel like, man, I, I did my best and, and I love them uh, in the way that, that we've talked about and I tried to, to kind of reach out to them and I tried to kind of bridge the gap but, but it just didn't work and they ended up leaving me anyways. And, and so you feel the pain of that and so you believe the lie that, that perhaps there's something wrong with you Perhaps it was your fault uh, that they left, or, or, or maybe it's the opposite. Uh, maybe you were the one who caused pain in your relationship. Maybe you were the one uh, who, who left before you were supposed to. And so you, you carry the, the guilt and the shame from that, okay? And you feel like, man, I, I, I'm never gonna be worthy enough to love someone else uh, in the way that we've talked about the last week. And so uh, I just wanna say that if that's you today, then you're carrying around that weight, that something's wrong with you. Listen, you, you need to hear and receive something today. I, I want to go back to our key verse, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6. I want to read it again. It, it says this, that, that love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love is truthful. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. You know, my, my study time, my prep time, I was uh, thinking about love rejoicing in truth. And I was thinking about w w what truth is love rejoicing in? What truth is, is this love that Paul's talking about rejoicing in? And I was reminded of a conversation that Jesus had with his followers all the way back in the book of John. And he's there and, and he's having a conversation with them uh, about himself and, and we just pick up just this snippet of a conversation so he's there and, and the, the Jews are around him uh, and they're following him uh, and they're in, in this uh, moment Jesus says this Jesus said to those who are following him, he said if you hold to my teaching then you're really my disciples if you hold to my teaching you are really my disciples and then you will know the what the truth and the truth will set you free love rejoices with the truth love is truthful if you hold to my teaching then you're my disciples and then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free some of you need to be set free today love rejoices in the truth if you hold to my teaching you're really my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free if, if you hold to my teaching then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free what what, what teaching do you think jesus is referring to in, in this passage which teaching is he referring to i'll tell you he's referring to the teaching about himself about who he is about what he came to this earth to do. The Bible says in 1 John that God is love. 
We've been talking about love for the last four weeks. Uh, some of you need to understand that God is love. And so some of you feel like, man, there's a deficit. I don't feel worthy of being loved. Uh, I don't know if I can ever give love. And the way that we've talked about for the uh, last four weeks, some of you need to realize that you need to have an encounter with God because God is love. And you need to understand uh, that there's this teaching about who God is, that God sent his son Jesus to die on this earth for you. Because why? Because he loves you. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I'm telling you, some of you need to be set free today to love one another, to love the people around you in the way that God's called you. But you believe the lie that you're not worthy of love, that you're never going to be able to give love in that way. You need to be set free. And I'm telling you, the way that you do that is you begin to shatter that deception it is by acknowledging who God is in your life and making him Lord of your life. Some of you need to do that today. Maybe some of you have done that already and it's like, man, pastor, I, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, but this lie, like it's just, it's just got a hold of me. I don't know if I'm ever gonna be able to love others or love in the way that, that God has called me to love. Listen, it starts by coming home today and praying and crying out to God and saying, God, would you break this chain in my life? Will you set me free from this? Lord, I don't want to believe the lie anymore about who I am. Listen, some of you need to hear that you are loved by God, that God loves you. He's called you for a purpose. He has a plan for you. He knew you and you were being formed in your mother's womb. He sees you. He has a plan and a purpose and a future for you. And for you to achieve that purpose by which God has called for you, you need to understand that God loves you. You need to start from that basic premise. Some of you are carrying around the weight of a past failure, the weight of what someone in your past has said to you, said about you, said for you. And some of you need to realize that you can be set free from that today. Some of you need to be set free to love your husbands in the way that you're supposed to to honor them and to submit to the authority like we talked about in week two of them. Some of you need to be set free to love your wives today, uh, to cherish them and honor them and, and, and care for them in the way that God cares for his daughter. Some of you need to be set free to love your children today, to see them for who they are, to see them for their strengths and not their weaknesses, to, to call them home. Some of you need to be set free to love the people that you work with. Some of you need to be set free to love your in-laws today. I'm telling you, there, there's these chains that the enemy wants to bind us with. He wants to hold us. He wants to keep us down because what he doesn't realize or what we don't realize is that when we begin to love others in the way that God has called us to love, all of a sudden we begin to look a little different. All of a sudden the world begins to take notice of God's church, of Jesus's church and who we are. And all of a sudden things begin to look different in our communities. People don't just see us as a cult or a religion, but they begin to see us as people who've been radically transformed and changed by something. Some of us need to be set free today. And so today, listen, I, I hope that there's something that, that we've said, that we've talked about that's just landed in your heart today, that, that something has just touched you and stirred you. And so I wanted to give you a, a chance to respond today. So if you could, can we stand to our feet uh, today and let's pray. Look, let's come to God in this moment. Lord, you are good. Lord, you're holy. Lord, we love you. Listen, here in Lancaster, if you feel like, man, throughout this whole series, God's been speaking to me about the way I'm supposed to, to love others and the way I'm supposed to, to care for others, but, but I just feel like 
there's a chain that's holding me that, that's keeping me back from that and that I need to be set free today. Listen, I just want an opportunity to pray for you. So if that's you today, uh, would you be so bold maybe to lift your hand in the air? And I just want to pray for you just so you can experience the freedom to love others uh, and love God in, in the way that you're supposed to. If that's you, you want prayer for that today, would you just raise your hand? I'd love to pray for you. I see you. I see you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for the people who have their hands raised in Lancaster, in Lithopolis, and online. Lord, I pray that you would uh, just uh, set people free today. Lord, I pray that the lie that they believed about themselves, that they're unworthy uh, of, of your love, that they're unworthy uh, of love, Lord, that, that they would just uh, shatter that in their mind. Lord, break those chains in our minds. Break those chains in our church, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray uh, that we would go from this place, Lord, a changed people, Lord, that we would be able to love others in the way that you've called us to love, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I pray that people would experience a radical freedom that comes from embracing who they are and their identity as a son or daughter of the King. 